0: Turn with me this morning in your Bible to 1 Peter, chapter 2. 1 Peter, chapter 2. Now, we're continuing this morning our series of expository sermons in 1 Peter, chapter 2. And we're going to just read this morning from verse 9. Uh, right through to verse 17. So 1 Peter chapter 2, turn to the place, come down to verse 9, and we'll read from there to verse 17. Now it's important that you not only hear the word of God read, but it's important that you see it. And we do encourage you to bring your Bible with you to the house of God. To have a personal copy to bring with you, First Peter chapter two, verse nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people; that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people. But are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. That with well doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free. And not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. But as the servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 17. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing these words that we have read together. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Let's read it together. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. My subject this morning is entitled The Christian's Holy War. The Reverend Colin Mercer preached in this sermon, preached in this text, he entitled his sermon The Holy War. Dr. Alan Kearns has preached in this sermon, uh, preached in this text, and entitled his sermon uh, The Battle for Man's Soul. Uh, And of course, uh, the words Holy War come from John Bunyan's book, not so much known as Pilgrim's Progress, but he wrote a second book and he entitled it The Holy War. And it had to do, of course, with the battle for the soul of man. I want us to think of this text this morning. There's a number of things from it that I want you to grasp. Things that I believe are vital, things that are important, things that will aid and help our growth and development in the Christian life. Now, as I look at this text of Scripture, as I've wrestled with it in prayers, I've studied it, maybe I've overstudied it, there's a number of things that come to the surface. One, the danger that every believer faces. Note the words, fleshly lusts which war against the soul. fleshly lusts which war against the soul. See every born again believer this morning is involved in a war or a conflict against the flesh. Here's a spiritual assault that the apostle Peter is identifying which is against The people of God. Now remember Peter is writing to people who have been born again. They are genuinely saved. They have got many wonderful benefits and privileges. Yes these people are persecuted. Yes they face hardship. Yes they have encountered trials and troubles. But these people in the midst of that situation have made spiritual progress in the Christian life. For example, it says in 1 Peter 2 and 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. You see, these people have obeyed the call of God in the gospel for personal holiness. These people have a real passionate, intense desire for holiness. They've got a heart for God. Now, given the fact that they're born again and got a new principle operating in their hearts put there by the Spirit of God, given that these believers are going on with God, Peter reminds them, having set forth before them what they believe about the doctrine of salvation. He moves on to deal with a very more practical theme How we ought to behave And he's telling them as believers First of all to remember That we are in a spiritual war And this spiritual war is a war Against fleshly lust in the soul Now notice the type of this war You see this is a spiritual war We're, We're familiar with war in Northern Ireland This, of course, is the anniversary of World War I. And in a war, there's armies, opposing sides. In a war, there's weaponry. In a war, there's casualties. And in a war, usually over a period of time, there's a victory. The word war here uh, literally is the word from which we get the English word strategy. In other words, it's a a military term. Notice also the theatre of this war. The soul. Is it any wonder Alan Kearns entitled his sermon, The Battle for Man's Soul? Because John Bunyan likened the soul to a city. And he called it man's soul. And there's a battle going on for the soul. And this is a true war This is something that's real and terrible This is a spiritual battle that's real This is a spiritual warfare that is true Yes 2 Corinthians five seventeen says If any man be in Christ he's a new creature All things have passed away and all things have become new And all things are of God Yes, we've been brought out of a state of spiritual death into spiritual life. Yes, we've been brought out of a state of spiritual darkness to life. Yes, the power and dominion of sin has been broken because he, that's Christ, breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Yes, we've been spoiled for the world. Yes, things can never ever be the same because we're born of God and the life of God remains within us. But every Christian, Now make no mistake about it this morning. If you claim to be a Christian, if you say I'm born again and I'm saved, then what I'm telling you this morning is you're in a war. And here's the type, it's a spiritual war. And the theatre of warfare is your own soul. And this is a real war, like any other war. And think of the time of the war. It's between the day that you're born again and the day of your death or your entrance to the glory of heaven. In other words, the time of this warfare is from the moment of your regeneration until you're taking home the glory via the portal of death or at the second advent of Jesus Christ. That's how long this war lasts for. Fleshly loss. Fight against every true believer. It's day in, it's day out. These fleshly lusts rise up, they they rage against you like a mighty army, and they come to destroy your very soul. Now, this is not just a fight, this is not just a battle, this is a war. These fleshly lusts, Peter says, wage a war against your soul with the very purpose of destroying it. Now the reference to lust here means strong desires. It speaks of a longing. It speaks of intensity, earnestness, sincerity. And of course, it's got the adverb here fleshly lust and when you get the words together fleshly lust young people what it means is strong sinful desires and and, and we could put the words from strong sinful desires in that's exactly what fleshly lust means so I want you to get the picture now Here's the danger that every believer faces. We're involved in a war. And the time, it's a spiritual war. And the theatre is our own souls. And this is a true war. And the time, it's long. From the day we get converted to the day of our death. And there's no let up. And we're in a war with strong, sinful desires. Now let me try and explain that what are strong sinful desires? Well, there's a desire for that which is sinful and forbidden by God in our heart. If you turn there to the book of Galatians for a moment, Galatians chapter 5, and read with me verse 19. Think of the word fleshly. And we'll link it up in Galatians five nineteen, And it says there, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Verse 19 of Galatians 5. And he mentions it. He tells us what they are. You've got adultery here. You've got fornication. Sex before marriage. You've got uncleanness, you've got lasciviousness, you've got idolatry, you've got witchcraft, you've hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Then he adds envyings, murders, drunkenness, revellings, and such like. You see, this is not an exhaustive list. This is really a summary statement. He's identifying for us, cataloging what the works of the flesh are. And he uses the word, now the works of the flesh are manifest. That is their they're Which are these? So he identifies them. But it's not a complete list. And such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. God. Now some have difficulty even in the church with the works of the flesh. There's arguments today about having freedom and liberty and rights as the people of God. But I want to say, while it's true we have rights and freedom and liberty as the people of God, we have no right, we have no freedom, we have no liberty to indulge in the works of the flesh. And even things, if you think of the word hatred here, if I can isolate that, it's something that's bubbling up in your heart, something that's eating away at you against another brother or sister. That, that, that is tied into a spirit of jealousy, or, or, or a spirit of strife, or, or a spirit of envy. Let's see that that in itself is a work of the flesh. That's the way of the world. We're not to adopt the customs and the culture and the conversation of the world. We're not to excuse the works of the flesh. We're not to try and disguise them. We're not to, to justify them. So the a desire for that which is sinful and is forbidden by God. Notice also here, this fleshly lust, strong sinful desire can be a desire for that which is not sinful in itself. You see, we can have legitimate desires. Think about the desire for food. We have that every day, haven't we? come into the house and say mommy I'm starving what's for dinner or if you're like me if you're hungry and there's nobody there to make dinner you just make beans and toast it's very handy because you can burn the toast and you can burn the beans but nobody cares what about the desire for money desire for family desire for friendship desire for fellowship the desire for love work education helping others See, these things in themselves are not sinful. These are things that God himself has talked about in his book. But here's the thing. How do we approach them? How do we approach food? Well, the Bible warns in the book of Proverbs about being gluttonous. Gluttony is a sin just as much as any other sin. What about money? Uh, Doesn't the Bible say and? 1 Timothy chapter 6 and, and verse 10, isn't it? For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil, but the love of it is. What about work? You see, if it becomes all consuming, if it becomes something that passionately controls us, if we're consumed by the desire for food and money and work and education and family and anything else. And that becomes the goal and number one priority in our lives. Then that is in the realm of fleshly lust. That's what we call inordinate desires. It's no longer a legitimate thing. It becomes an inordinate thing. We we said this morning, or we sang Psalm 42 We sang it deliberately, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. And that's the key. And if we have a soul that's thirsting for the living God, then these other legitimate Things which in themselves are not sin- sinful, they'll be kept in proper perspective, in proper proportion. See, I often think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a true believer, a sea of man, and yet as a sea of man, do you know he writes of a warfare? He says this. In Romans chapter 7, we encourage you to read from um, verse 15 down to verse um, 25, really. He says in verse 23, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And here's the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, children of God, this morning, we're in the midst of a battle. Do you realize that as a Christian, there's a war going on in your soul? A war like no other. A spiritual war. A war with no let up. A war that's probably secret and unseen. And it's your personal inner struggle with strong sinful desires. And there's a, a continuation of this war. Do you know there's no truth? truth? There's no discharge in this war. There's, there's no mercy shown. In World War I, the war started in 1914, run on to 1918. There was a start date, there was a finish point. It was a terrible thing, of course, World War I. A scourge in society. Thank God there was at least a political and military solution to it. A war that affected the world. Second World War was the same. All other conflicts are since. But here's a war that affects every believer. Young, old. Remember Paul said to Timothy, flee useful lusts. There's temptations and tests that older believers face. And we can't escape this battle. We can't escape this war. Let's never underestimate the power of strong sinful desires. They have and will gain the mastery and the victory over us. This is a war like no others. No truce, no mercy, no ceasefire, no days of restraint. Remember in World War I they had a truce, ceasefire, They even played football a team. uh, They allied against the Germans. But there's nothing like that in this war. This is an assault to destroy us, to ruin us, to rob us of fellowship with God and Christ, to to ruin our testimony, our usefulness, to, to dishonor the Lord, to leave us spiritually on the scrap heap. Here's the danger that every believer faces. Notice very quickly the demand that every believer faces you see what what does Peter say here he says dearly beloved I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust notice the word abstain here's the message abstain you see some believers are ignorant and they fail to grasp and understand that Whenever they're born again of the Holy Spirit and the life of God is planted within them That there's a battle that continually rages in their soul Some believers are indifferent They admit, well, they've got fleshly desires Strong, sinful desires But they're really harmless They're no problem to me I, I can't see what the big fuss is I really can't see where any of them could really lead to. And let's remember, of course, any course of action has consequences. And we can't be ignorant and we can't be indifferent to the presence and power of fleshly desires. Some believers, of course, want to negotiate and reach a compromise. I think of Samson, he played about a while with Delilah. He played with the Philistines. He didn't take his Nazarite vows seriously. What was the symbol of his strength unto God? He toyed with it. And there was a day came and a tragedy happened. He wist not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. He lost his strength. He thought, I can handle it. He played around with lust. He didn't see the consequence of what was coming In a state of weakness he was brought to downfall. And some believers refuse to view sin as sin. They refuse to accept that they're in a war. Some others think that their fleshly desires are not really against the word of God and they argue, as I've said, I have liberty, I'm a free man, I have a right to do as I please, I can go where I like, I can do what I like. But I want to tell you, and this is the point that has been brought to me again we're not free to sin against the law of God fleshly desires have snared thousands and tens of thousands in the church in the very 21st century That there's thousands today not living in the victory of the gospel thousands are cold in a backslidden state and they're powerless and prayerless and the church is powerless and prayerless because some of it's leaders have missed and ignored and reinterpreted texts of Scripture. Some of the people have missed and ignored and reinterpreted texts of Scripture. Today in the church, there's a delving into sin. Today in the church, there's a desire for sin. Today in the church, there's a debate with sin. Do you know that some ministers, purportedly Protestant and Reformed, have told their people in America... That it's okay to watch and to read about pornography to aid and help you in your marriage or your relationship. Now that's totally wrong. Notice the word abstain. That's the message of Peter to this people. Don't be ignorant. Don't be indifferent. Don't, don't, don't play with, with sin. Don't, don't refuse to view sin as sin. You're not free to sin against the law of God. And here's the meaning. Abstain. Of course that means to hold oneself back. Now, that means to keep yourself from it. That means to stop it. Uh, Turn turn there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and and verse 3. The, The word abstain is used there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. And he says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Notice again, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 22 Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, now how can you do that? Let, let me suggest to you to be in your guard against fleshly desires, to be watchful, to be alert, to know the strategy of the enemy. Remember, David, he was on the rooftop. He failed to watch his own soul. He chose to, to watch Bathsheba beev Then it got a grip. He entertained it in his mind. He made inquiries about her. Where did it end up? It ended up in adultery. Ended up in a murder. Ended up in lies and cover up. It, it ended up in, in getting a man drunk. Doesn't James tell us there in James chapter one and in the verse fifteen? He says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. We need to be on our guard against fleshly desires. Also, we need to get the word of God into our hearts and our minds. I've been struck this week with Samuel saying to Saul, Stand still today and I will show you the Word of God. It's an old saying that this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. See, the Word of God will guide us in the path of righteousness. The the Word of God will restrain us. The Word of God reveals sin to us. The, The Word of God directs us. We can know the strategy of the enemy, we can know the strength of the enemy bearing in mind what God says in his word think of Psalm 1 the godly man what is written of him blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night there's the reading of the word give attention to reading the Bible says blessed is he that readeth and there's giving attention to the preaching of the word Be in our guard. Get the word of God into our head. Gaze in Christ. Doesn't Philippians 4 and verse 8 tell us, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, just and good and honest and, and right, focus on these things, think on these things, fill our hearts and minds with them. Let's fill our hearts and minds with Christ, who He is and what He's done for us, and all the benefits and privileges that we have in Christ. Is there a thirsting for God? Is there a panting after the Lord? We're not to be panting after fleshly lust. We're to be panting after the Lord. There's a difference. If you're a Christian and you're panting after lust, there's something wrong. We're certainly not on our guard. We're not getting the word of God into our head. We're not gazing on Christ. We need, of course, to get the power of the Spirit. If you go back to Galatians, there, notice what he says in Galatians chapter 5. He says, verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. You see, if we're born of the Holy Spirit, We're to be filled with the Spirit. That's a blessed experience. And that's a daily filling. Galatians 5 and 16. And there's to be a walking in the Spirit. Notice what he said. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit... You're not under the law. That that, that is under its condemnation. There has to be a getting of the power and infilling of the Spirit. Are you ready because you're guarding against fleshly desires? You're getting the Word of God into your head? You're gazing on Christ? You've got the infilling of the Spirit? Are you ready then for change? Ready for action? If it means unplugging the television, then do it. If it means switching off the internet, if it means getting rid of books and magazines, TVs or whatever it is, let's get rid of them. Let's make sure that there's a panting for the Lord in our heart, and there's not a panting for loss. Notice lastly, our time is gone, the duty that every believer faces. If you go back to our text, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Notice how he addresses them, dearly beloved. I I love that term, he's used it before. The NIV actually uses the words dear friends. But the word friends isn't in the Greek. You see, this is not just a amicable relationship that these people are in. The Greek word means beloved. Dearly beloved. They're loved of God. He's saying to them, remember that God loves you. You're loved by Christ. They're loved by Peter because he's writing to warn them. These believers, of course, are in a relationship with each other. They do love each other. They love all that is godly in Christ Jesus. Notice the appeal. He says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. See, Peter's a pastor. Peter's a counselor. He's saying to them, remember, you're strangers in the world. You're citizens not here, but of another country. That This world is not your home. You're just a passing through. You're just a pilgrim sojourning here for a time remember you're the people of God isn't that what he he has already told them which in time past were not a people but are now the people of God as the people of God you're strangers and as the people of God you're pilgrims don't engage in the world and its ways remember you've got exceptional privileges remember you've got eternal privileges you're the people of God You've experienced a saving work of grace that can't be removed or reversed. It isn't subject to change. You've got privileges that only you as believers enjoy. Now in light of these privileges, as God's people, this is what I want you to do. I want you to abstain from fleshly lusts. Why? Because they war against your soul. In other words, as God's people who are loved of the Lord and say you love Christ, then live for the Lord Jesus. This is your duty. Do it for Him. Remember, your your bodies are His temple. Remember, you've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Christ. See, true holiness isn't seen in language, it's seen in the life. Isn't it true that actions, Speaks louder than words. And what's he calling here for? He's calling for action. Here's the address. Here's the appeal. Here's the action. Abstain from this. That's the duty that we as God's people face. I want you to recognize today. I've tried to be very simple. I've I've read and studied about... um, Quite a number of commentaries. And quite a number of sermons on this. And quite a depth of material. And I tried to be very simple today. I tried to be straightforward and plain. Here's the danger that you and I face. There's a war going on in our soul. Do we recognize it? And here's the demand that we face. Here's a message. This is the meaning. Here's the manner in which we're to do this. We're to abstain. And we can only abstain by being on our guard. We can only abstain as we gaze on the glories of Christ. We can only abstain as we get filled with the Spirit. That's why he says be filled with the Spirit. We can only abstain when we're ready for change. You think of a soldier. know that he has to encounter in a theatre of war. And what he's prepared to do for king and country. But what are we prepared to do for King Jesus? In the battle against sin. Do we love the Lord enough to seek to live a holy life?